Welcome. What's up, dudes? Welcome, everybody, to uh, another episode of Contemplating the Universe. And we have a fun... For the first time ever, I finally have somebody other than just myself on here. Um, one of the greatest things that I like to do in life is to listen to people's stories. And I've been happy and lucky to be blessed with a, uh, a family that has a lot of stories. And who? And so I've got a couple of guests on today. I have my father, Gary Antonucci. Hello. And my uncle, Richard Antonucci. Pleasure to be here. These two are special because, just for one thing, they've played music together for, what, like 70 plus, like about 68 years? It's hard to remember, isn't it? I'd say about... That's good. 65, 68 is kind of when... about 62 years. Get on your mic more, Rich. 62 years, probably. Wow. So, um, I... I've lived my life with these bozos and they always, you know, they're always telling me stories. And as we've played in a band together, I've just, uh, I, I don't know. I, I've really grown to appreciate the input and the perspective that these two have gained over years of playing music. And I, it's just interesting to, uh, it's just interesting to, to, cause I mean, cause you guys, your your family had a lot of musical. You both came from a musical family. Um, am I correct? Right? Like you you had an uncle that had like a, a family band. Yeah, Uncle Fred. He uh, we actually took some lessons from Uncle Fred. Right. For, right. Oh, I don't know. Maybe off and on for about a year or so. Well, and so he played in a band, and your your mom and dad sang a lot. Your dad your dad played a lot of music. He liked and your to mom, sing too. My dad. Your mom played a lot of music too, right? She played the piano and sang. So tell me about uh, your mom and dad and how the the music they played. Because I remember playing music. I remember seeing grandma and grandpa as a kid, and like. There was like a piano and an organ, and I at one point I learned that your dad used to play the accordion. What was that like? Uh, my mom and dad both came from musical families, but when I was really young, two or three years, my mom used to like to play the piano, and I and we had a piano at home, and uh, my mom liked to play a lot of records, Tennessee Ernie Ford. Oh, nice. And uh, really nice. She enjoyed singing and the playing. She liked really, really nice. Um, where did she sing? Where did, where did uh, Grandma used to sing? Church. And then as yeah, a school okay, teacher, that was a requirement to, oh. to teach. You sang with your kids. And it was actually, actually a requirement to have an auto harp in every class. Remember the old schools, the teacher was... Uh, not like to new schools of today where every subject had a different teacher. The old yeah. schools, one teacher taught all the subjects. And your your so mom. She, yeah. It would get time for music, and she'd say, okay, everybody take out your music book wow. or whatever and get her auto harp out or piano, and she would start giving some music lesson. Uh, um, so it was required to do an auto harp. I remember Grandma could play the, the auto harp, and... Um, I don't think I ever saw Grandpa play the uh, the accordion, but I remember hearing he could play it. I think I maybe saw him play once at one of the weddings at one point, or I think I think your sister's wedding. But so what? So how much did you? How much of that do you think influenced you before you picked up an instrument? Before you actually started learning, it it influenced me a lot uh, because uh, whenever we'd go to uh, on holidays, we'd go down to either my uh, my dad's family or my mom's family. Uh, they all uh, would sit around and talk and visit and then sing and play also on both sides. But on dad's side, it was country music, um, uh, Patsy Cline. Some of my mm. aunts would sing Patsy Cline. Nice. Uh, steel guitars. They played guitars and... Uh, 
and Hawaiian music. Hawaiian music. Speak so, more on but that. But it was more. It was country. They country was great. All the well, country why, artists. Why was it? But, what was Hawaiian about it? I'm always curious about that. Uh, well, there's a song called the Hawaiian Wedding Song. So it was actual traditional Hawaiian music. This, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah well, they they did, and cool. uh, yeah, and my dad was asked to play at a lot of uh, at at several weddings, and I remember he played at some of my cousins and. And um, and he was pretty shy, but he had a nice, kind of a soprano voice, and he would sing. Nice. And um, yeah, I remember Grandpa had a really high pitched voice as a singer. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he enjoyed it. He was he was pretty shy about it, but yeah. As a child growing up in in um, Chicago, my dad and Uncle Pete and a few of the other uncles would go over to the Catholic Church, which was real close. And they would hang out over there and sing. They had choir practice all the time. Oh wow! And you know that—that's a way of life for American. Everybody sang for entertainment. Yeah, yeah. You know, back in the days when the when there wasn't any TV. That's or, right. You know, stuff yeah. like that. I remember when when uh, Grandpa. I remember there was a wedding. I think it was that same wedding. He did like a karaoke version of some song, and I just I I remember he was so nervous, and I you what you said it reminded me of of that. Did so, how old were you guys when you first started playing? Mm, seemed like we were about. I don't know, ten or twelve years old, wow. something like. See, that. I was about three when I first picked up ukulele. My dad had one, and we just noodled and played wow. with him. Wow! So how, like, so how? Rich might have been five. Huh? But but that was like, that was before. Was was that the... before we even started playing? I mean, when we were like uh, elementary, mm-hmm. you know, students. Uh, I remember he had a ukulele that was just the house ukulele that nice. used to sit around and you'd see it sitting in the corner and he'd he'd play it he knew all who, the chords who was this uh albert my dad oh your dad okay there was yeah well yeah. we called it the house but it was my dad's uke right yeah. right, right and it was a martin and it was really nice oh, a martin wow. ukulele <laughs> we wow. abused it and we did we, we we did everything with that ukulele el cabong yeah Paddled nice. the boat out in the swimming pool with it, nice. you know, everything. Wow. <laughs> now that, that is a house instrument right there. Uh-huh. But, uh, but so you guys had instruments in your house your whole lives. When do you think you actually, when, how, like, Rich, you said you were about 12. So probably when you were about, like, seven or eight, or how, what's the age difference between you two? I think I might have been in about the first. Two Rich years. was in okay. the third. And we lived down in San Fernando so Valley. still very young like you guys were like you weren't like you were kids but you weren't even teenagers yet Mm-mm, and no. you you rich barely a teenager even at 12 not not nearly right so how uh what what were the what were those first lessons like and who um well my dad bought us a couple of guitars he oh, bought wow. two acoustic f hold k guitars nice big arch top with a red sunburst finish and uh, he bought two brand new ones somewhere. Wow. And uh, came home, and he'd come walking up the driveway with two brand new guitars, and he gave one to Gary, and he gave one to me. That's incredible. But uh, even before that, back when, I remember that all the family, my uncles, they all were into music. and. Uh, well, you were, taught, you were taught music by Uncle Fred and Uncle Lee. Tell tell us tell us about Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred. Well, Uncle Fred was a studio musician from oh, probably from the fifties and sixties, I imagine. Wow! And, and in, and in he, uh, California he or played, Chicago, uh, played the electric guitar. He played steel guitar. He had a three neck Fender steel. Wow! And I'm Cream sure he white. played the bass and a few other instruments too. But but those were his main guitars. Do and, you uh, remember Aunt Lorraine's? playing bass and uncle fred did the steel and dad sang and played the ukulele yeah wow they had a little hawaiian band yeah and when they wanted to learn a song he would he would go down to the music store and buy sheet music and then bring it home and there's the song nice. and he would he'd play right off the sheet music and wow. play the song and uh so we we got into that just a little bit when when he was giving us lessons we went 
use sheet music. And it was just the very basic ideas of reading music and sheet music. Well, we had the Mel Bay books. He, we bought the first Mel Bay song uh, music lessons For and went lessons. right off of Mel Bay. That uh, was the most that was popular. The that was the standard at that point? Yeah. Interesting. And and, and you guys... Because it taught you to read music, too. Right, because it, it had, like, the, the notation and whatnot. Right. So who and so Uncle Fred basically would give you guys lessons. Yeah. And he was he was savvy and he was a musician himself, so he was good enough to to realize that he had to keep us interested because we were already kind of playing and Rich and I and this must have been in, in probably about nineteen 58 or maybe 59 or 58 and we played some surf songs pipeline and Wipeout, and a few of these tunes nice and uh, he really liked that and and um i don't think anybody else liked it but i think he he realized that we were playing together we were you know doing tech technical stuff um we would trade off gary play the rhythm and i'd play the lead and then and then we'd switch, and he could play the lead, and I'd play the rhythm. So we both learned how to rhythm and chord too in the backup, you know. And so my and nice. and he always um, made it a point to our the lessons. The first part was the lessons, and we'd have the music out, and he'd try to show us timing and stuff. And and then within just a little while, he goes, "Okay, let's put all this away now and play a couple oh, of tunes." God, of course. <laughs> so of we'd, course, we would, I can only imagine. You t trying to teach young versions of you two, bless your hearts. <laughs> well, we would break out and start playing uh, some song. The steel guitar rag. Nice. Steel guitar rag or nice. the 12th Street rag or That's some, the, yeah, the 12th some Street musical rag. piece. I remember how yeah. amazed I was. And we'd because... be jamming along with Uncle Fred, yeah. you know, and just really getting into it. Aunt Connie would break in <laughs> and come in there and she'd give him the eye. We don't want you playing this secular music, you know. Now you get back on the lesson, teach these guys how to read this music. Oh. And she'd point her finger at him, you know. Oh, that's funny. And it was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's Step funny. back in line again. But he just kept <laughs> he just kept teaching you the fun stuff, essentially. It's well, it's we did like that, too. Yeah, okay. We did so that too. You still did. You guys still did learn how much uh, He could play by ear really well. Well, how much music how much you guys did he tried to teach you it seems like he tried to teach you actual musical notation right. and you probably right. picked up some of that, but it some seems like it. you really more picked up his ability to play by ear. Cuz well, that's definitely your guys's thing. And, and I think we had that ability already somehow built into us to play yeah. by ear. We would listen to a song yep. and pick out the lead and the rhythm and then yep. learn it, you know. And uh, that's how that's basically how we And you got to see well, well, you got to see someone use this thing that you could feel. You yeah. know, I, being as being from your, you know, my father over here, I got to watch my dad and you too, but I got to watch you guys perform, and I didn't really understand it at the time. But it was a, it was a, it was a thing that I felt that I didn't that that I was I would watch you guys, and I'd be like, oh my god, they're like, I, I it's this weird unexplained feeling of it's something I had the potential of that I don't think I would have understood if I hadn't seen it being utilized so well. And I think that's what you guys got from Uncle Fred is that mm -hmm. he basically gave you. As kids, he gave you a lifetime's worth of experience of being able to play by ear. And, you know, you you two underestimate how well you can play by ear. So he encouraged us more than anything right. else because he kind of had a reputation in the family. But he wasn't he didn't like my dad's family that much because um, he was like my Aunt Connie's, my dad's sister's second husband. So he kind of wasn't tight with the family, and they were all kind of wannabe players, and Uncle Fred was the th real thing. Yeah. <laughs> and right. I think they resented that, too. My Uncle Jackie played the steel guitar. Wow. My Uncle Pete played the bass and the guitar. Yep. And uh, yeah. he was the first person we ever really saw play guitar up close was my Uncle Pete. Wow. How many aunts and uncles? I, I forget the number, but I just for everybody listening, how many aunts and uncles did you guys have? Well, there was 
There was 18 children in that family that survived. And I wow. think my grandma had had a set of twins, too, that didn't survive. Oh, rough. So there was actually 20 children in that family. Lord. And and most of them and it's and most of them played music. Yeah, most yeah. near all of them. So you, you guys well, we only come met ever a, met half that family. Probably half of the them. Half. half of them played and oh, sang. Yeah, because it was they were from the old country oh, when they moved over from oh, from right. Italy. Uh, they already had eight or nine children, right. and they came in as immigrants into Ellis Island back and, in the er, back in the late eighteen. And then they started nineteen early early nineteen hundreds. Yeah early 1900s um but when they came in as immigrants they started a whole new family here in the united oh, states wow, yeah and so it was almost like uh, having two families because your mom's mostly from her they spoke her, italian in their normal everyday actually, language your mom's family's mostly from oklahoma right Missouri, um, Missouri. Okay, she was born in Texas. My mom was, oh, but they okay. were from Southern United. So some states. Southern, yeah, some Southern states. Yeah, um, they were bluegrassers and early country music. Yeah, bluegrassers. So you guys kind of, you guys kind of learned instruments and playing on like a bluegrass style. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, mm-hmm. how, how do you think that um, did that? affect like the first bands that you that you had um because and i was gonna ask too how did uncle fred and uncle lee react to um like how did they react to when you told them that you had a band and you had a gig um well they were they were really interested in it and they they uh would always question us and ask us you know if we're playing somewhere or if we're you know what we're doing and always wanted to know what was going on. Like it interested them. You could cool. tell they were definitely interested. And and so what were you, what were some of the first bands that you had, Rich? Um, well, I played in high school with a couple of different people, and uh, blues bands and rock mm-hmm. and roll type bands. Nice. You played blues bass for a while, right? Played bass for a while. Cool. Played guitar for a while. Nice. And. Uh, Probably went through several different bands. Wow. I couldn't tell you all the names of them right off the of top course. of my head. But of blues course. Blues in a Bottle. Blues in a Bottle, yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what about you, Dad? What kind of bands did you have? Uh, what were some of the first bands that you, guys, that you had before you guys started playing together? I was more of a young folk, folk singer and Bob Dylan. And we did a lot of uh, just uh, hoot nanny and type nice. uh, group singing. Yeah, very and folk and very like almost folk Grateful and Dead. Even. Guitar, uh, no, way before Grateful Dead. It was, but similar style. No, more folk. All right, Pete Seeger. We're gonna cut that out. Pete Seeger. Uh, it, it was a fair question. Uh, uh, Grateful Dead uh, started off kind of like what we did. They were they were seeking the roots music and everybody yeah. was kind of on a quest back then, you know. You had folk music, you had surf music, and then you also had like the popular California scene, the Everly Brothers. My uncle Lee loved Pete Seeger. Nice. And you had the Weavers. And they were a uh, kind of uh, there was protest singing and. Wow. Oh yeah, that so was. So what uh, what instruments? What instruments did you What instruments did you play in those first few bands? Um, uh, mostly guitar. My cousin Mark loaned me his big, beautiful, hand-built twelve-string, and it was a great big, and it just had big, beautiful tone. Um, and then I always wanted to play fiddle, but I I got a mandolin pretty early on and just kind of strummed along with well, that. We were influenced mm-hmm. by our family yeah. first of all more than anything. I'm Uncle like, Pete, he yeah. played the guitar and sang. He liked to yeah. sing Johnny Cash songs and played guitar. Yeah, Johnny Cash was big. And then my Uncle Lee, he played uh, uh, the mandolin and the guitar. and Piano. And the piano, and he was real fluent on all the instruments. He could, you mm-hmm. know, play pretty well. And then uh, I had several cousins. Our cousin Chester, he played the banjo and sang old-time songs. And... Uh, then I had a couple of other cousins, uh, Mike and Larry. They both played guitars, so we'd sit around surf. and play surf tunes, you know, when nice. we got together. Nice. And uh, so we were always influenced by family. Family members had uh, had tunes to play and stories to tell, you know, whenever nice. we'd get together. Nice. 
Well, and that's, I mean, that's a, it's a pretty wonderful thing that you guys got, you had this nice foundation of so many different aspects of music, you know, like we were saying, you, you learned, you were shown really well how to do playing by ear, and you, you were given a lot of bluegrass foundation and roots, but you still had a lot of other, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear how many other styles that your family did play, especially with the, uh, the, some of the traditional Hawaiian stuff. So who, who, as you guys started branching out from your family, who were some of the other, um, who were some of the other musicians that you guys met and played with back in Palmdale? Cause this was before you guys moved up to the Rogue Valley. This was back when you lived in Palmdale, right? Dale Cannon. Dale Cannon. Rand Thompson. Rand Thompson. Um, these I've met, were guys I've that met that guy. Sang and played guitar, and Dale, he was in a group. He says the box tops, and um, he's and he had a pretty good voice, and uh, he kind of led us along, and you know we just. Mm-hmm. We, um, tell me about uh, Joe Riley, because he's somebody that you guys have talked about a lot, and he's a musician that you guys hung out few, with a lot. He was a songwriter. Yeah. And he was a musician too. Did he? It seems like he kind of gave you the inspiration to start making original stuff. Well, he gave Gary a couple of his songs to do whatever he wanted. With. Yeah, Acton, one one Acton that we do, and I really—that's yeah. one of my favorites. I really showed a lot of interest. I loved uh, Joe's original songs, and then he wrote this song called Acton, mm-hmm. and at all the parties and all the different things we'd go to. After a while, people go, come on, Joe, sing Acton. And after a while, Joe would sing Acton, and just everybody just fell over. It was nice. such a comical. And, and he and played it was the a, piano, too. Joe oh, did. nice. Yeah. Did he do swing style on the piano kind um, of a thing? Or what no, kind of piano did he play? his own style. Interesting. Kind of his own style on everything. He seems like he was a, a, a very unique individual. Yeah. He was very unique, and he had a really tough childhood when he was growing up. Oh. He had two or three older brothers that uh, hot rod builders that were hot rod builders and oh. hot rodders, and he had a hard time living up to his brother's mm. reputation. Mm. But uh, he was a hot rodder himself too. Nice. And they used to build cars from scratch. Wow. Uh, one of the songs, one of the songs that he wrote uh, called Acton, talks about flying down to Acton in his Oldsmobile mm-hmm. and they had taken an old 1927 Model T and put an Oldsmobile engine in it and made a big hot rod you know with nice. no hood or anything nice tailpipe sticking out everywhere it's amazing to hear that part of that song Acton that I've sang all these times it's, it's amazing about to a true story. how much of a true story yeah. that song is it's a true story that's funny <laughs> well okay so what about uh what about uh the rattlesnakes and eggs who are they that was a real cool band from our high school from Palmdale High. Nice. Marty Prue okay. was one of the guys. Nice. And Tom Bryden. Tom, Tom Bryden. Bryden. And uh, they, they got asked to play. And it was uh, most of these guys were in Rich, Rich's uh, and graduating Tim, class. What? Remember Tim, the bass player? Tim Myers, yeah. yeah. And so they formed a group called the Rattlesnakes and Eggs. And that was about in 19... 19- 68 and what kind of music do they play they wrote a lot of their songs but it was like the band bob dylan and the oh, band and nice. songs kind of like that nice that's interesting they uh, played horns and yeah, they, other instruments in with their music too mm-hmm. they they could double up and play they had a little horn section that they could do and they all played guitar and and marty Prue played guitar and sang and he could also play drums, and saxophone, saxophone, and flute, mm. and uh, they had trumpet. Cool. Um, and so they were pretty well rounded as far as instruments go. And cool. they wrote music was- and read music too. They they sometimes practiced with sheet music. Mm-hmm. We would never practice with sheet music. We just had the words. Yeah. But they followed a lot of songs and interesting. Uh, and the Beatles. Beatles was a big influence on all of us at the time. Warren, our, Warren's calling. Hey, Warren. Yeah, we're rehearsing today and uh, bring something nice. We're doing band photos. Hey, I'm currently recording a podcast with Rich and Dad. 
Come over normal time. Love you, buddy. Bye-bye. I love Warren. Someday maybe I'll get Warren in on one of these. But uh, so um, what – as you guys as you guys um, got more into musicianship and you started picking up other instruments – what 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 was that like? What was it like being? What what's the guitar mean to both of you? Well, the guitar was the basics, and everybody guitar was very popular in the fifties and sixties. Everybody was playing the guitar, um, and so we started just learning that. Mm-hmm. But um, on my mom's side, uh, her father's sister, Aunt Irene. She was from Missouri, and she was she was great. She was a hoot. Nice. And she played the banjo, and she came over a few times, and she would sing and play all these comical songs, and uh, she was really good, and she, she played a real bright, frailing style, mm-hmm. and she would sing the whole song, and, I mean, you just had to clap and love it. It was just nice. great. She, she was an entertainer, but only huh. for family and friends. Huh. Aunt Irene. <laughs> so you you even and you even got a little bit of that entertainer sort of you you were shown what it's like to be an entertainer too. I think it's amazing. It it it's kind of amazing how many different levels of like live performing and music were were just kind of you just kind of had those in your aunts and uncles and cousins and whatnot. It's, well, that's it's kind the way of amazing. it was in everybody. That was you had music in your family if you True. were lucky because that was your entertainment. Yeah. We were really interested in guitars, and Uncle Lee played the mandolin for mm-hmm. us a couple of times, and we really liked that. But uh, I think what really set it off was in uh, elementary school, they came out with a new music program where you could take music and you could pick a band instrument, and you you know, at school time, you'd go to the music class and learn how to play. And they had all the instruments, the band instruments there, and but they didn't have any guitar. Hmm. No, there was no guitar, no room for any guitars anywhere. And my mom and dad said, well, what instrument do you want to play? And I said, well, I want to play the guitar, you know. Gary said, yeah, me too. Nice. So, <laughs> but, uh, but I think that's what set it off was my dad walking up the driveway with two brand new guitars nice. that one time. And she said, here you go. So then, uh, how did you go from guitar to banjo, Rich? Because well, you are, for well, anybody th- listening, you are an extraordinary banjo player. Well, I I enjoy playing the banjo, but I think what started that, we I had already known how to play guitar for a little mm-hmm. while, and after hearing my uncle play the mandolin a few times, I got interested in the mandolin, mm. and uh, so. I went down to a music store in Hollywood, and I bought a, a little mandolin. It wasn't a real expensive one. Yeah, a little cheapy, something yeah, you can a, learn. A learner nice. model or whatever. Oh, okay. It was good enough to play yeah. and learn on. It sounded good. Good. But it wasn't anything like a like a Gibson. It wasn't or, any, yeah, yeah. It was good enough. Right, good yeah, enough yeah. to learn on. And kind of played with it off and on. We even played a few gigs, and I would back up and play chords on the mandolin. I didn't really know much about it. And I wasn't a very good picker as far as mm-hmm. getting into it goes. But uh, they kind of sat around the house for a long time. Well, and at the same time, my younger brother Martin had given Gary a, an old banjo that somebody in the family had gave him. Uncle Leonard or somebody gave him? Uncle so, Leonard, I think, might have given it to him. So you actually, so Dad, you actually started on the banjo rather than on the mandolin, which is kind of your mm-hmm. main at this point. And we were just plunking around. That's funny. We were just playing with it. We weren't really what you'd call super serious about it, but we enjoyed the instrument. Oh, we were serious. We just, we our, our musical ability you, wasn't very developed. You were serious, but you were still at that point where, yeah, you were, exactly. You were still developing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... I was looking at this banjo one day, and I said, hey, I'll trade you. Mm. And Gary said, okay. Mm. And so we just took off from there. And that's where the banjo and mandolin thing started. 
And after that, I was just stuck on it. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't ever get back uh, to where I was before. Well, well that's, you play Foggy Mountain Breakdown once, and then for the rest of your life, people are stuck. asking you to play it. Yeah, you're gonna. How learn. many times? How many times do you think you've been asked to play Foggy Mountain Breakdown, Rich? Oh, I don't know. More than you could count. <laughs> well, you know something, Coleman. Easily more than a hundred, maybe more than a thousand. And that was a well-known, uh, respected tune. Even yeah. people that weren't really into bluegrass, they recognized Foggy Mountain Breakdown, yeah. the scene, the uh, theme song from, from Bonnie and Clyde. Nice. That was about the time, um, and you know, in in the in the early '70s and even in the '60s, there was no such thing of of uh, uh, of hearing music or songs the second time around. You only heard them when they played them on the regular mm. play of the disc jockey, unless you were able to buy the record. Mm. There was no reproductions. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you'd hear a song, and it might be a year before you heard it again. Oh, wow. They just It just wasn't available wow. they didn't have all that what technology a trip. i can hardly i literally can hardly even imagine that and we did have a record player where if we could afford to, to uh, buy a 45 or an lp we and we had a few records around but we didn't have a real what you would call a plentiful amount of records you couldn't sit to. down and buy bill monroe records you had to mm-hmm. acquire them or go to one of his concerts back east and and maybe buy one there or somebody had one and they could trade mm. you even mail hard to get it. wow you, even hard to get ju- not just needing to get the records but those records were hard to get yeah wow mm-hmm. so yeah so uh music so if you had one you you just played it all the time and you learned all the songs on there and so with uh, all that happened with the uh, Beverly Hillbillies mm-hmm. And the hee-haw and the banjo and um, Foggy Mountain Breakdown, that was just a popular thing yeah. that was going on. And you either liked it or you didn't. Right. Well, did you did you have anything similar on the mandolin? Did you have any be, people be like, hey, play that one mandolin song again? Actually, uh, I got really inspired in the early 70s, late 60s by a guy named David Grisman. Mm. He's from the New York area, and he just, and he hung out with Jerry Garcia. Yeah. And they were friends, and and uh, they they uh, they were playing their own version of folk music, oh, and yeah. and um, they were on a whole nother level. Well, they were pretty aggressive with it, mm-hmm. and very good at it, and um, and not shy. And it wasn't at all. rock and roll. But it, it was, but it had the energy. It of was rock and roll. a newish kind of. Yeah, yeah, it did have energy to it. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we kind of followed. And whenever I could buy a Bill, a a, a, a Bill David. Monroe, sure, but a, a David, David Grisman, yeah, yeah. I would. But even Tennessee Ernie Ford, Doc Watson, Bill uh, Johnny Cash, huh? Bill Monroe. Because uh, you you were people who Bill influenced Monroe? you. Bill Bill Monroe influenced you too, right? Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of the you know, what what were you saying though? Uh, so that was a lot of our influences, and there was kind of a movement of on people that were learning all these songs in the acoustic world. We weren't the only ones. You could go to a jam, and everybody had jam songs that mm-hmm. they kind of were working on and knew, and so you could say, um. Orange Blossom Special mm-hmm. or La Di Da, and everybody would try to play that, and everybody would come together, and so there was a, a time when everybody was learning that. Well, one of the things that you guys definitely have is that bluegrass ability to just jam, because we've gone to bluegrass festivals, and it's one of the most amazing amazing things is that bluegrass is so formulaic. What what is it? What is it? Um, like, how does it feel to be able to know that so well at this point? I love it. Nice. It's uh, it's just something that that I've I've learned to to take serious, but but just to have fun with it and be creative. After watching David Grisman, I no longer search for the exact true mm. notes of the original artist. I like to improvise, make it. Either jazzy or bluesy, or mm-hmm. just you play with it, you know, yeah. just have fun with it. Yeah. Pete Seeger and 
and uh, Joe Mafis and Rose Mafis and and then the White Brothers. We wow. lived. So you Clarence. guys, you guys, sure. I, I think it's amazing how wide of a net your musical, because it, it wasn't just your family. At this point, it's all the different musical influences you got to listen to. So. I want to move the story ahead a little bit, and I want to ask. Let's let's start talking about finger picking good. The the longest of the bands, the bands that actually made a CD, and let's talk about the uh, the players of that band and how y'all uh, kind of because you you both back in Palmdale went to school with Greg and Al, right? Yeah, and then all four of you so. Al's a Dobro. Al Brinkeroff is an amazing Dobro player. Greg Clark, amazing uh, string bass. Str- yeah, upright bass. I, I, tr- I upright. Yeah, string bass. And he, he started off. Bass too. He played electric bass too. Yeah. yeah. Well, he he played guitar and sang some songs yeah. too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he plays guitar yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He started off on the washboard and the wash tub bass. Wow. Gary pretty much taught Greg how to play the guitar. Wow. He would sit for hours and show him chords and songs. Wow. And pretty much he didn't know anything about guitar until he got with, well, probably both of us to some degree, but I think you taught him how to play guitar. That was when Rich and Greg and I all lived at the same house. After high school? Rich had a place that burned down, so we said, oh, yeah, wow. come live with us. And then we would sit up every night and practice. Wow. And then at the same time, Rich had Just the had three just, of you? Yeah. This, and okay. Rich had bought this book called the Earl Scruggs Bluegrass Bible. Nice. And it starts off and it goes thumb, one, two, and that's the first finger and the second finger. And it played the first little part of the Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Mm-hmm. And it goes thumb, one, two, and it showed some pictures and diagrams. Mm-hmm. And that's called tablature. And then it says, repeat a thousand times. <laughs> so that's what Rich was doing. He nice. was practicing in his room. That's I love that. And then we we uh, so that was kind of where we got serious. So with, how did Al get in? How did Al get involved in that? He, I went down to Splevens Music, <laughs> Splevens in in, in, in San <laughs> Bernardino awesome. or somewhere in Riverside to this big music store, and Al says, "I want to get a good dobro." And we went down there, and I think it was like 350 bucks, and he bought a really nice Dobro. Nice. Really, it just just bought it outright. And nice. Came home with it, yeah. And uh, how, so did you guys have gigs back in Palmdale before you moved up here? Parties. A few yeah. gigs, but parties. Mostly. We played some county fair-type gigs, oh, and we nice. played some yeah. birthday parties, and we played a few weddings. Nice. Yeah. And, um, Think kind of things like that. And then we did a few bar gigs too. We played at at bars on Friday and Saturday night. We had a gig at Lucky's Bar and Grill in Lake Hughes there for a while, and uh, that got so bad that we ended up having to build a fence post to put in to protect the band. Oh, what? (laughs) So it's kind of like the Blues Brothers, you know? Oh, we was like behind the fence post. You had one of those fences set up. Yeah, I used to take it to to the gig. You guys did somebody? How how, did people really throw stuff at you that often? No, just dance into us. Oh, Rich, yeah, got got uh, several instruments ruined by people dancing into them. And one time, this guy named Buddy just he just danced into the to the microphone and it punched a hole right through his Gibson. Oh, oh, and it got man. deathly quiet in there. Everybody got quiet and Rich just looked up and he just looked down at his <laughs> guitar and he just packaged he just put it back in his case. Didn't say nothing to nobody and it was nobody was talking. Everybody just stood there and he just walked out. <laughs> it's a movie moment, right? Yeah, there. and then we all just, just packed st- up and left. The stoic well, we cried for about a half an hour. Oh man, <laughs> we're that's done. Rough. We're done. That's yeah. that's such we're a done. movie moment. <laughs> that um, so you you guys actually took this fence post. Uh, uh, that's that's crazy. It was well, made out of a. Was it just a fence post, or was it like an actual length of fence? It was, it was more a, like a little section of guardrail. Oh, it was a four by wood. four post. So big, it was kind of like it was like a little barrier, not like a yeah, fence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we called it the old fence post. Nice, the old fence post. Well, the name of the place was the Hitchin Post, wasn't it? That yeah. was one of the places that we played out in Lano. Was uh, Was Joe Riley still around at this time? Yeah, yeah, okay. he would come to some of our gigs. Nice. And we he would pl- he would play at parties and stuff too. And 
he really he actually would only play if if we all got in there and backed him up and played along with him. Nice. He didn't really like to do solo gigs, huh. but he'd love to. If we were there, he would he would sing. We'd get him to sing wow. one or two. So after, so you guys had some, you you guys had fun. Sounds like you had quite some adventures down there. At some point, y'all decided to move up to the Rogue Valley. You, Al and Greg, the four of you, and then very quickly you met two fiddle players, Warren Whistler and Willie Warwick. Now tell me about them. Well, Warren was the first. Uh, other musician that we met around Grants Pass area. Wow. And we were playing at a, a place on G Street down there near Blind George's. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't remember the name of the pub, but we were the playing one night. The Palace. Nice. That's right. And uh, Warren comes walking in. He's got an old fiddle case. And he looks up and he goes, Hey, mind if I jam along with you guys? And we said, Sure. And I think he was. He was more than just a beginner at the time, but he wasn't uh, as progressed as he is now. Yeah. But but he knew old-time fiddle tunes. He knew nice. several, you know. He was in a band called Fiddlin' Red. Nice. Who, who else was in but that band? But when I, I, I moved up to Glendale, and within a first couple of months of living in Glendale, and this was about 1974, mm-hmm. uh, there was a little pizza parlor. And they saw me and Rich and Greg jamming on the porch. Mm. And he says, you guys come over and I'll feed you pizza. and Come play and you can pass a hat. And it was just down the half a block away from our house on the other side of the street. Nice. So we went over there and and this the word of mouth. And we were just playing a little and in walks Willie Warwick. Nice. (laughs) And we didn't have any idea who he was or didn't never met him before or anything. And he goes, hey, you guys mind if I play a little, couple of songs with you? And we said, sure. Yeah. And uh, he just pretty much stole the show away right <laughs> then and there. That, sound, that sounds like Willie. It was. I remember one time Willie. He was good. Then. Well, he was a concert, uh, a contest fiddler back yeah. then. Tell, tell, uh, tell me more about he that. He used to go out to Weezer, Idaho, and he, mm-hmm. he uh, was in a contest with Sam Bush Mark O'Connor's, Byron Berline, mm. and they all, that was a big thing out in Weezer, Idaho. Nice. But uh, Willie was, uh, he was kind enough to take a place in the Bluegrass Band. Nice. He didn't really steal the show. He was just that good where well, it was like, yeah, I okay. Mean, at that point, you know, he was the, uh, someone, of all the roles of someone to steal the show, a fiddle player, you know, that's. that's well, he was good, it's yeah. a good. It's a good fit for Bluegrass Band because. You know, it took it would take some of the mel- melodical weight off of you guys, but it also, you know, it's it, it gave it like Willie was the kind of guy where he he couldn't say no to stealing the show. There was no like there was no there was no thing in his head that would be like, hey, give someone else a time into the shine. Willie just had this compulsion. I remember one time we were at we were doing a gig and Willie. We were doing one of my songs, and it was like one of the like the first times I ever played with Willie, and we're we're getting into this moment where we're breaking this song down, and everybody's taking a break, and Willie's like he Willie's just like turning around, look, he's he's like caged like a caged lion, just like pacing back and forth, and he comes up to me and just wild look in his eyes, he's like come on, come on, I got the I got I got I got some, get, let me go, let me go, and I and it was perfect timing, and I was like all right, go, and he did like a double solo and just like the thing that i always say about willie is as a fiddle player there was no separation between what his fingers did and what his brain wanted to do as instrument players that's the thing a lot of us struggle with is like sometimes i hear something in my head but i can't get my fingers to do it that just that was not a problem at all for willie and he i i you know truly more capable of melody than he ever realized. And and one nice thing that Willie had perfect pitch so that everything Willie played yeah. was always beautiful notes. He did have he he, and he, he was, rarely played a sour note. And he that was another thing about him. Yeah, he had that absolutely perfect pitch. I think it was almost on purpose. He would play a, something like a sour note just for a laugh. Nice. Yeah. But uh, after that first night, we became 
Willie's Bluegrass Boys, <laughs> and we were happy to do was it. Was that a name? Or was that that was a joke? That no, wasn't the we name just, of a band. Okay. Yeah. No. Because Willie's Bluegrass Boys is not a bad name of a band. That's especially kind of the with way Willie it, Nelson. We, I mean, you know, he 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 was happy to have us and be in a band with us. Uh, although, and and I mean, we all complimented each other really finely. He mm-hmm. he always uh, supported us. What uh, what gave you guys enough? what was it that made you guys finally go like, all right, we have this band, let's make an album. How long had you guys, so you got the core band of the, the, the guitar, the four of you with Al being, Al would pop in the, the man on the Dobro would pop in every once in a while, but you had the bass, you had the fiddle, and then you had you two switching between guitar, mandolin and banjo, just, you know, so, how long had you guys been playing before you decided, let's make an album? Well, we started playing some uh, bluegrass. There were a lot of bluegrass uh, contests. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them, they'd have like a $500 prize or something. And in 19, I think 1980 or just around mm-hmm. that time, mm-hmm. Grants Pass at the fairgrounds, Ricky Skaggs, he hosted a a, a bluegrass contest band contest thousand dollar first prize wow so we entered that wow and won it wow nice what songs did you play do you remember what songs you played we were pretty much orange blossom and it was the traditional style bluegrass at the time was it just the four of you uh or was willie no this was back in california no here grants pass oh okay grants pass and me and gary and greg so there was five of us wow where was it? What where was the, it at the fairgrounds? You play? said. I know we played the Orange Blossom special because about three of the bands played that. That was that wow. was a real popular song. Um, well, I can't that's even awesome. Remember. I I don't think I ever heard that story that you guys want to. What was it like to win a thousand dollars? Got to hang out with Ricky, Lou Reed, Ricky Skaggs. Got to meet. Yeah, and, nice. And yeah, we took with pictures Ricky with Skaggs. him. Wow. He signed our. Our plaque for us, our trophy. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Um, then at some point you even get you guys even got to open for David Grisman, right? Didn't you guys open for it, We opened he, for he, Bill Monroe. I thought here in town you, you you opened for David Grisman and some or was that was that Bill Monroe that you opened for at the Rogue Theater? Well, when we played, oh, it, that was Nickel Creek. Oh, it was Ni- not David Grisman. It was Nickel Creek. When yeah, we you played guys at got the to open for out there. Oh, and we well, I and I was part of that and one we too. To we did. We did technically. Maybe I'm mixing my stories at this point. You guys opened for Nickel Creek at the Rogue Theater when Nickel Creek was like just done their second album or something. Mm. And they were super popular. Yeah. Uh-huh. Back in the early aughts, early two thousands. Yeah. Um, what was that like? It it was. Um, um, you know, a lot of times, uh, you do a big time gig and then after the gig, it makes you realize that, wow, we need to practice a little more. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. But we had a lot of good times and that, that was a good, um, uh, it was a good gig, but anytime you play, uh, the artist's interpretation of what you did and then the performers out there, they, they hear and see. A whole different thing. I think we were very critical. We were always, uh, you know, worried about, and and of course, it's always a challenge uh, to to play acoustic instruments because sound guys are just not uh, like in a in a real quick setup. Just get up and start. Play. It takes a long time to dial the mandolin and the banjo and the bass, and you don't always get that time. Mm-hmm. So it's always a challenge to get a good sound. And so right after we had a one-hour sound test, Nickel Creek showed up. They were a little late, but it's like, oh, we got to let them. So, yeah, they got in. They did. A, they ended up spending about an hour and a half, and they moved speakers. They moved everything all around, oh, and wow. they redialed the whole thing for Nickel Creek. And so at the, by the time we got in to play and we started, 
nothing was the same. Oh, but we just played, and, and everybody uh, yelled at us and said it was good. And nice. We had a good we had a good time. Good. They said it was good. They didn't just yell at you. They said it was good. Right. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> so well, let's get back to the album. What was it that finally made you guys do that? Well, we didn't really. Uh, we liked the idea of recording, but we always realized that in order to record, you'd have to have some original music. Mm. And Gary had a couple of songs, and Joe Riley had a couple of original tunes, mm -hmm. and started thinking about putting it together from, mm -hmm. from original music. But we didn't have enough to really do an album at that time. So it was like, okay, well, we need to practice more. Mm -hmm. We definitely need to. And as time went on and we learned more original material, then it finally got to a point where Gary said, well, we've got enough to record an album now. Nice. So, and it, it took a while, but and you I guys, think that was the realization is just not wanting to record somebody else's material. Right, finally yeah. getting enough original material yeah. to be. Yeah, because I, I, I definitely can can feel that. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And on then that. there's the nightmare of copywriting when you yeah when you're recording and if you if you're playing somebody else's music then it is a nightmare but uh if you're doing original music it's pretty straightforward yeah and, and relatively simple compared yeah. to that you you're you're just yeah it but you know like you guys said it's hard to get a lot of original it's it's you know it's not well it is it's unique yeah. to have a lot of original music mm -hmm. for sure and one of the things that always fascinates me about that first album is it was done on analog like they you guys didn't really have digital recording yet like you guys no. recorded two things tape. on to two inch tape. two inch wide tape with 24 channels big old spools of it 24 right? vu meters on wow. the side of the machine <laughs> and so you you couldn't really, you did some multi, did you do any multi-tracking where you'd play and then you'd play over it? Yeah. Yeah. But you'd have to like rig the tape to. No, no, he could multi-track. He, oh, he okay. could multi-track. Yeah. He but had... it, it wasn't just as simple as pressing a few buttons. Right. You get to a certain point and you'd have to run it back. Right. You know, and then hit the, find the number again and. And cue it up, and okay, ready. You know. And this time, and if you ruin, if you ruin the second take, it ruins the first take. Well, no, not quite. Not necessarily, oh. but okay. but a lot of times it would take more than just one take to fit right. a break to a song after the song was recorded. Okay, okay. Well, you know, but uh, I did. We did some music where I played both the guitar and the banjo. If you listen yeah. to the songs, there's I'm playing guitar and banjo yeah. in there. And so it was a bit of a trick, but but we learned how to do it, and we had uh, Bob Pagano at at the uh, studio out there. He Mountain View Studios, right? Taught us Who a little was bit it that he produced. Um, Sean, um, I don't know. He he he. I remember in his studio he had uh, records. There was like a couple of Barry Manilow gold records on yeah, the wall. Yeah, he he mm -hmm. did. And he uh -huh. said he did like music for like. He he would do like Sean, he would do transitional music for uh uh like TV shows and like yeah. sports and stuff is yeah. what he was saying. His his whole thing though was more, uh, it wasn't really much country western. It was mainstream guitar and kind of rock and easygoing, and and even orchestrated. He he was more into that complete sound mm -hmm. than um, than you know than a, a stylish west coast sound but mm -hmm. uh, he worked with us but he was a, he was a nice guy he 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 uh he really showed us he he taught us how to how to work in the studio yeah he, he gave was, you some stuff you hadn't learned yet it was sure. a real eye, eye opener what you know what we could do and nice. what you can't do how do you feel i'm going to ask you how you guys feel about a certain amount of things the first one's going to be after being taught by your family how does it make you guys feel to be such a big influence on me and like my brother and even his nephew and even just people in the area? You know, at this point, there's a lot of people in the area that you guys are kind of an influence on. How does that how does that make you cosmically feel? It's a confidence boost for me. Cool. I think it's it's a good feeling to uh, feel like that you inspired somebody a little bit. You teach them a song, you've inspired them mm -hmm. a little bit to play that song and 
play it by themselves or whatever and it it's a it's a good feeling it makes you feel like you you were sort of an inspiration to someone you know well on that same note of being an inspiration to someone how does it make you feel that mom has not only joined the band and and is is very confident in her abilities but she she even wrote the majority of the songs on one of our albums she wrote five of the song on a 12 yeah between the three between me you and her we used mostly her songs on that family tree album well in 1981 when i first met or that's when we got married Mm -hmm. so maybe a year before that or so one of the things that really drew me to debbie was the fact that she loved singing loved gospel Mm -hmm. music loved country music yeah and so she was already and she was a closet singer she had she had sang with her mom in the church a lot of her childhood and so she was already deb Mm -hmm. was a great singer but she would not be in public and and knew she never would it took a long time and for i mom to work kind of nerves. pushed her enough and and then i think you you made a spot for her also and then she came out and took that spot and we're just all proud of each other yeah and then after going through that that other recording and now being on all the recordings that that i've been producing lately the all the all the amazing multi-tracking and editing with the digital that we've gotten into what what are you uh what's that like it's really nice having um a lot of different uh music that you've done over the years because when i think of a song that we did on our first album or our second album and what i do today I think of it sometimes I make the mistake of thinking one's better or now it's today's better and then that was not as good. But then when I listen to it, I hear stuff that was great. Mm-hmm. We were doing good. And, and so I've learned how not to judge music good and bad. You just you, you take the inspirational or the parts you like. And, and um, I think it was mostly all good stuff. It's just um, a variety of... of uh, of uh, material and just styles that we went through and and I love it. Well, and on that same note, Rich, what's it like for you to have learned so much bluegrass and then to have me produce you a, a techno song with the like a techno swing banjo song, a couple of them. Well, I think it's inspiring sort of to to push your you don't know how to play something or you hear something and you you have an idea in your head and to actually get that out and make that sound come out it's like it's um it's pretty good it makes you feel like you 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 have a little bit more under your belt than you did before nice i want to ask rich something weren't you surprised rich like weeks later you'd come over here and you'd record and then weeks later you would hear what coleman had gleamed out of that recording and modified and adjusted to and some things Rich would play a little bit, and Rich, and Coleman would just um, uh, add and 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 extend it out, and and he doctored it up, and it sounded way more. It was uh, just uh, way more sophisticated and a lot smoother and yeah. better than what I thought I recorded. A lot of tricks there. It was like, wow, I did that. You oh yeah, okay, kind. I kind of recognize it. But it was like, um, <laughs> that's what it, I was it, amazed. It evolved. You know, it, it, yeah. it took the original and evolved into something that was really, really good. And, and Coleman, I didn't think it was that good when, when it was recorded. Coleman's always kept it, uh, kept the sound good and not made anything just outrageous or, or, or too much of a clash of styles. There's really an art of styles and being a little bit bold. And, um, you know, you, you need a little bit of, of both of that, but... Well, on that note, on that note, the the kind of the wrap up, you know, th- this has been a, a wonderful and, you know, I would love to listen to y'all just talk about how great I am. But that's that's not the point of today's. Maybe we'll do an episode where I You're get some people influence. to just tell people how great I am. That would be a fun that would be a fun episode. But for today, I I I I want to thank both of you for being on the podcast. This was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed the stories. I learned some things about the family that I've had forever. I just want to, on the note of what you were just talking about, what, 
what is what is it about music that does it for each of you and whoever wants to go first but you, you... the reaction when you play mm. it just changes everything mm. if somebody has no idea that you're going to play a tune or that mm. you would even like it or they would even like it and all of a sudden you start playing and it's stuff that kind of blends and is harmonically and and uh, uh, together and, and not what we think, you know, what we've played over the years. Nice. And people appreciate that, and it catches them by surprise. Huh. Several times I've been <coughs> driving somewhere and got the radio on, and all of a sudden you hear a song come on the radio, and I go, wow, that sounds familiar. You listen a little closer, and, oh, it was Lori was with me. She goes, wow, listen to this, and she turns it up a little bit. And it's us. It's us playing somewhere. We <laughs> something that we recorded. Oh, nice. And she goes, "That sounds pretty good." And it's like, I don't, it's not a matter of being proud. It just makes you feel good that you've got that far under your yeah. belt already. It makes yeah. you feel like you you've progressed and yeah. gone in a positive direction. Yeah, it's an amazing feeling to to listen to something you did 25 years ago. And somebody else says, "Hey, listen to this. It sounds good." Yeah. 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 Without even really any other input, you go, oh, all right. Nice. You know, it just makes you feel good. Nice. Well, that's that's touching. Yeah. That's very touching. Um. I I I'm I'm good to call it. Uh, I I appreciate you guys being on the podcast. If anybody is still listening, like and subscribe to all my things and do all the things that give me money. And thanks for listening to another episode of Contemplating the Universe. And uh, thanks, Coleman. hey, well, you guys, you guys, that was a lot of fun. And uh, goodbye. Maybe we'll, ha- we'll have you on again sometime. All right. To Sounds all the good. fans, thanks for listening, and keep in touch because we we'll always have a new surprise here and there. Nice. Perfect.